Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in 12-year-old Kate Gilman-Williams, who is the founder of Kids Can Save Animals and Club 15, as well as the author of Let's Go On Safari. And I appreciate Kate coming on to sharing her journey, all the great things that she's been able to accomplish in the last handful of years, and the things that she's primed to do uh, to help out the world in such a positive way. This is not only impactful for kids, but also adults that are looking to get started in whatever endeavors that they're passionate about. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I know I did. So without further ado, please welcome in Kate Gilman-Williams. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining this evening. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this today. Yeah, I'm I'm extremely excited coming into this because you're one of, I, I've actually had a couple of younger guests, but they are all family members. So you're the the, the youngest <laughs> solo guest, let's say that, um, that I've ever had in the podcast. And I think it's really neat because one of the things I believe in, I have, I have a nine-year-old son. And one of the things I believe in is that it, the age is just a number. It doesn't matter. If we want to do things, if we believe in things, we can go at them at any age. Um, so I was really intrigued to chat with you about all these cool endeavors um, and how you got started with it and, and what you're encouraged by next. And we'll kind of go into a variety of different things. So I wanted to start here if I could. Um, so when I was doing some research before, it looked like there was some sort of point in life when you took a safari that maybe was the jump off all, all this. And I'm curious if that actually was the moment or was there times before that were like, I know animals obviously are a big part of your life. Did you always enjoy that growing up animals and, you know, maybe going to zoos, anything like that prior to the safari, or was that the first major experience you had and exposed you to this? Definitely. It was a huge part of my life going on my first safari. I was seven years old. And it was the first time I had ever seen animals in their natural habitats. And it was incredible. And I talked to my game driver, Michelle, about it. And she told me how humans are killing animals. And I wanted to do something to help. And I have been learning lots of things along my way that how zoos are not, don't, some zoos don't treat their animals right. And I've been working with the Born Free USA and telling kids around the world that visiting zoos just, you want to know what their cause is. But that's things I've learned a lot later. But to get me really started, it was that first safari. How does one, so I was looking at this, I'm like, how does one even go on a safari? I didn't know, I I knew knew you could go on safaris. I didn't know how actually one would go on a safari. How did you come to that um, adventure all, you know, I guess to start? Well, I had always had a passion for animals. I had always loved animals. And my parents knew that and they had gone to Africa before and they just thought I would really enjoy, you know, seeing animals and being around them because it was something that I liked in my everyday life. So what was the, was there like a spark when you were on the safari? Like maybe it was a certain animal you saw or (laughs) some sort of thing. Like what was it that really intrigued you the most? Probably a cheetah. That is the reason why I put a cheetah on the front cover of my book. 
There are only 7,000 cheetah left in the wild, and it was my favorite animal. I hadn't seen one on my entire safari yet, and I really wanted to see one. And my game driver, Michelle, told me that, that they spotted one, and we head out and saw it. And it was incredible, and I didn't think I was going to see it. And it kind of just changed my path, and I couldn't believe that there were only 7,000 left, and I had to do something to help them. So that's one of the reasons why I put a cheetah on the front cover of my book. When you approach these animals out there, like what did they get scared or do they see enough of like the vehicles and stuff where they're kind of used to it by now? Like how, do, how does that all work? They're definitely used to it by now. It's called animal habituation, where these animals are so used to the trucks. They know they're coming. They know they're not going to hurt them. So they just are totally relaxed and just do what they would do any normal time if they weren't there. Mm. So you mentioned something, um, and it was really interesting, again, researching prior about all these animals and, again, only so many numbers of them left. Is that mainly because of poaching or are there other factors that are killing off these animals, these species? There are lots of different factors that play into it. The top two, I would say, is poaching and the illegal pet trade. In all these animals, for example, the elephant is killed every 15 minutes and it's killed for its ivory, which they use for trinkets and rhinos are killed for their horn, which is made out of keratin and is thought to be used in medicine in China, but it's really not used for animals. And another big, another big problem is human wildlife conflict where humans and animals come into conflict. For example, if an elephant goes into a farmer's um, grass and they have the farmer has all of their plants there that they use to survive on and feed their families and sell and make money and those elephants go and eat them and the farmers will kill those animals that come into their farms and that's just something called human wildlife conflict where both of them are in a tough situation so i i guess you know my curiosity is like how do you stop poaching like is it I, I can't even, I don't have the foggiest idea. Is it, is it like enforcement out there? Is it putting up like fences? Like what, what, how do, how do you actually solve that problem? There are, it's a huge problem, but I believe you just have to start with the younger generation because these people that are poachers are, have been grown up knowing that it's okay. It's something okay to do. <laughs> it's normal when it's really not. And you just have to get to those kids and tell them that it's not okay and just change their style of living to wanting to help the animals. And that's some big things that they're doing in Africa, trying to get kids involved. Because some kids, kids that live in Africa have never seen these animals before. No. Well, and I think that's part of the what was really cool about the mission that you're, you're on and, and the variety of programs that you're involved with. Um, how, so here's the question that comes on the podcast a lot. We all have experiences in life. We all do a lot of things that kind of like, wow, this is interesting. I want to help. I want to do something. But most people never do. They, you know, they'll come back from the safari and then they go in their everyday life and forget it. Why did you want to actually start like a foundation and push things forward? Like what, what inspired you, I guess, to take it that next level? Well, I believe that all kids are born with a natural love for animals and we just have to unlock it so they won't want to help. And advocacy really does have no age limit because um, I started at a very young age. I'm 12 now. I started when I was around seven or eight. And I believe that if we just work for it, we can, you know, solve our biggest problems. And it's important that we spread the word. 
was the so that you you wrote the children's book was that the kind of first i guess uh push into starting you know kind of the different programs you're with or did you start um uh or found i guess uh kids can save animals and then the first maybe project was the book how did that all work together so the book was the first ever thing that i did it's how i got started but that launched multiple different things. I launched my website, kidscansaveanimals.com. I have my organization called Kids Can Save Animals, you know, where we empower young people to mend our planet. And that really turned into my organization. But then I started contacting other organizations, seeing if they would want to partner with me and do some kind of projects. And that's how I've been getting involved with my people that I'm working with now. For example, Sarah Masson from Microsoft, Jen Hartman Luck, who I recently created a song with. So it's kind of at the base of my organization where I work with all my partners. Wow. Tell me about, you mentioned a couple of folks there, like the it's so important to have people around. You can't do this yourself, right? Um, as much as we probably want to, it's like there's so many people that are involved. How important has it been to have support systems, your, your parents, mentors, et cetera, be a part of this journey with you? Definitely. I mean, I wouldn't be here today if those people weren't here because they've really helped me along my journey. Sarah Mastin, she got me started in creating my podcast, Club 15. This helped me along the whole way, learning how to do it. And Ryan Seacrest is also one of my mentors. He was the one who helped me publish my book mm. when I was on the radio with him. And there have just been pe- lots of people along the way that have gotten me to where I am today. Yeah, the, the serendipity of it all, right? Because Ryan Seacrest, right? You never would have met him if you didn't maybe push forward with some of this. And then all of a sudden, here, you know, here's where it helps you. So, um, yeah, and I saw the, uh, what was really cool was the, um, you were mentioning the the music um, and the video because I saw you were at South by Southwest. Like that's pretty cool. Um, how what, how was that experience? I mean, that's a massive you know undertaking conference. I, what what did you think of it? Yes. So this song is called "Kids Can Save Animals" that I did perform at South by Southwest. It's a song featuring me and telling kids around the world what's happening to animals. And every time someone downloads it, 15% of the money goes directly to Rewild. And we got to, we got to perform at South by Southwest, sharing the song and also sharing the new music video that we created. The music video wasn't totally done at that time, but it now is. We shared, we shared um, a quick little preview of it, but now the music video is available. So you can go watch it now, listen to the song. And the main singer is Jen Hartman Luck, who is also one of my huge mentors and has really helped me along the way. And it's an amazing song. And I definitely encourage all of you to check it out on any of your streaming platforms. What did, uh, what was going, cause that, is that a unique thing for you? Like, do you sing or perform a lot? Like, that was, was that kind of a outside of the comfort zone type moment for you to do that? It was something I had never really experienced before. I, I wasn't a singer before this, and Jen reached out to me. Um, she interviewed me about my journey. I told her everything that I've done, and she just turned it into this amazing song. And I'm actually am, I actually am a little bit involved in acting and things like that, kind of outside my animal work, but I'd never done anything like this before, and it's so incredible, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it because we're really finding out that music can save animals. What, how do you get everything done with do you I'm assuming you you do schoolwork and you're in school as well how do you manage all this like you know what are what are tell me about your like what's a day in the life of of Kate how, how does how do things work for you 
Yes. So I definitely spend lots of time on my animal work, but I also have other things going on on my outside life, like school, schoolwork, and um, volleyball is one of my favorite sports that I do. But I do fit it all into one day. Those three things are the main three things that I work on in like every single day. Do you, is there like certain things and, and maybe I'm trying to advice for my nine-year-old um, to, to get off all the video games, but is, uh, is there anything that you do for like scheduling of these or just to, to kind of make sure you get in the things you want to get in um, each and every day? Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes it can be hard to balance schoolwork. It's really important that you want to write things out and you want to write things down. Make sure you don't forget anything and just plan out your days so you don't forget to do anything and you can schedule all the things you want and make sure that, you know, you can find time for doing things like animals and podcasts and things outside of school. Um, you know, one of the things when I, when I talk with a lot of younger kids, um, and, and even folks, I guess, that are, you know, getting into teenage years and college and stuff, one of the things they, a lot of them struggle with is confidence. It seems like you have a lot of confidence of like, to put your best foot forward, to try your best. Where did, where did that come from? Yes. So you definitely need to have a lot of confidence because I'm telling other kids to join me and I need to be confident. And, you know, you have to be a good leader to get other people involved and to inspire other people. And I guess I've just gained confidence because this is an important cause, you know, it's really urgent and it's just something that everybody needs to get involved with. Is there anything, if I take it on the other side of the coin, because obviously failure is a part of the journey as well, right? We don't always do what we want to do. Sometimes it doesn't go our way. Is there any experience that, that you'd share maybe that didn't go as planned uh, that you learned from over the last, you know, four or five years doing this? Of course. One of the hardest things I've ever done was to find a publisher. I got over a hundred rejection letters and you just have to push through it. It's a part of life and something that, you know, I've gone through and it was really the start of my journey. And it was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done. But if you keep working at it, it's going to happen to you like it did to me. What was the reason they rejected you? Did, did you get any feedback or was it just a no response? You know, it's just a young kid who just made this book. You don't really know. And it was before I had actually gotten involved with Jane Goodall. She helped me a lot when she signed into the book and let me talk about her institute, the Jane Goodall Institute. And, you know, it was kind of hard. But after getting involved with some people and having my book support, the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, Rewild, and the Jane Goodall Institute, it got me some traction. I was able to have a publisher. Mm. How has the book done very well? Then I'm assuming is that a good? Has it been a, a proud moment for you the last few it years? It has. I I had um, one publisher that focused on kids and animals, and the book kind of went big. We've raised probably around seventeen thousand dollars for my conservation partners, and now it's published globally with Penguin Random House. Yeah, that's that's quite well because I actually have a copy here, so I just published my second children's book. Um, and my first one was last year. So it took me 38 years to publish a children's book. You, you did it in a lot less time than that. So, uh, so congrats on, uh, um, on doing that. That's a really cool endeavor. Do you have plans to write more? Um, no, I don't think I'm going to write a second book because I've been more focused on some of my other projects. For example, Club 15. Um, a little bit about Club 15 is it's a podcast where I interview different scientists and conservationists around the world. And we have 
a little tech thing where kids can get involved with tech and learn how technology is saving animals. And right now, my Club 15 is really focused on biodiversity. And I know that's something that not all kids are passionate. I'm definitely passionate about that, but I want to have other options for kids to get involved with. So right now, I'm trying to work on turning some Club 15 episodes more towards oceans and getting Mm. people who are experts in oceans involved so kids can learn about some different problems that are going on in the world. What is biodiversity? I'm not sure what that is. Biodiversity is... It's kind of in the topic of saving animals, our planet, and just kind of our helping our planet in general and focused on like our land and our animals. Um, so you mentioned podcasting. So you're interviewing folks. Yes. How, so you can, how, how do you like, how do you like that? Is that, is it, that a, a different thing for you? Yeah, it's very different. I've never done, you know, been on the other side of the interview. And it's really fun getting to come with all the questions, doing research about these amazing people. And you can actually watch all of my episodes on my website, kidscansaveanimals.com. And we're putting it as a real podcast on streaming platforms currently. What's your what's your favorite part about podcasting? probably getting to see these amazing people because they're people I wouldn't meet if I didn't have this podcast, especially the technologists that I interviewed that are incredible. For example, Fatima Hemdani, she builds drones that go longer and faster and higher than any drones ever before. And that these just people are doing incredible things. And it's so great to learn about it and sharing them with the world. What's the, uh, what's the use case with drones? How, how could that help from a, like an animal advocacy or wildlife standpoint? Yes, so she uses the drones for many different things. One is to help animals. She has cameras on her drones and they can cover lots of vast areas where poaching occurs and they can get footage of the poachers before the poachers can get to the animals and Mm. it sends it to the rangers so they can go out and stop them before they kill any animals. And she also uses them for different things like human, things with humans in our planet and just watching vast areas if any problems occur hmm. wow it's pretty fascinating <laughs> i mean i guess that's yeah these drones like nowadays oh my gosh it's amazing the technology with these things how these are um how fast they can go that's what i'm impressed with um what uh so what's like out of all this stuff you're doing is there like a favorite like you love working on i mean you have so many i'm the same way i have a lot of balls in the air is there something that you love to do more than anything with this it's kind of hard to pick a favorite but i would probably say right now since i'm kind of working on it currently and it's just happening is the music video because in making this song it's something i've never done before i got to go into the recording studio record the my part of the song and it was just an incredible experience that I'm never going to forget. And it was something that I'd never done before. And I would say if I had to pick, that would be my favorite. Mm-hmm. The, um, I wanted to go back because one of the other things I saw was this quarters for koalas. Is that right? Yes. That seemed pretty, koalas seem like a pretty cool animal. <laughs> What's the, yeah. What was the initiative behind there? So I created this project with with my school called Quarters for Koalas. I created it when the fires broke out in Australia and a billion animals died, including many koalas. So I started this campaign at my school and I presented to my whole school saying, bring in quarters, bring in quarters, because quarters add up quickly. And we ended up raising over $4,400 
for the Adelaide Koala Rescue that were taking koalas in and putting them back out into the wild after being burned by the fires. What is it? What are you hearing from? And maybe it's your age group. It could be from other folks. Like, why don't people want to help as much? Is is it because it's so, like you know, Africa is a long ways away from America. If we're talking U.S. and sometimes you know, out of sight, out of mind type thing. Is that is that why it's like, oh, we have other things to do? Or what's do you have a hard time getting people to commit to help? I guess. No, to be honest, I have never found a kid that doesn't want to do something okay. to help. They just don't know the problems. You have to educate your community because, as you said, Africa's on the other side of the world and not many people know what's going on. And just by educating them and telling them what the issues are, they really do want to get involved. So what are some ways? So if, if someone's listening to this or maybe if their parents listen to this, what are a few different ways that kids can get involved right now? What are, where, where could they go? What could they do? Definitely go to my website, kidscansaveanimals.com. You can download my Quarters for Koalas campaign. If you really love animals, you can raise money at your own school. Definitely download the, sh- the song. And something that's not involved with me is you can adopt a baby elephant from the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. It costs $50 and you get, an el- you get emails about the elephant that you adopted, how they're doing at the sanctuary. And basically a little bit about the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust is it's a sanctuary where they take in baby elephants where their moms have been killed by poachers. And I have visited this organiz- this place many, many times. And I can tell you it's an incredible place. And if you wanted to make a donation to them, I would definitely go there. Uh, so what, what do you talk about the music video? Is there anything else you're, let, let's say over the next, I don't know, let's say the rest of this year that you're excited about. Is there new projects that you're working on that are secretive maybe, or anything, anything fun that you're still kind of early stages on? Well, something I'm kind of in the early stages on is making a documentary I want to do something like that. I have footage from my recent trip to Africa where I dehorned a rhino, tracked a pangolin, collared a cheetah. This is something really new that's going on, but something I want to pursue. But also something recently new that's happening right now is my partnership with Born Free USA. Mm-hmm. I'm their youth ambassador for the United States, and we're working on campaigns to help save animals. For example, of freeing elephants, and we want to continue with that with going around and sending letters to our representatives and helping free elephants. You said something there that I had a, what is dehorning? What what is that? Yes. So an experience I had in Africa was dehorning a rhino. And basically why you do this is because rhinos are killed for their horn and the poachers um, hopefully, you know, won't kill the rhinos if they don't have their horn on. So we get cut the horn off. And it goes to a secret vault, and then the rhino just kind of walks around without its horn. It's definitely something really sad. I mean, you can't picture a rhino without its horn, but it's something that has been making an impact and has been saving the rhinos. And, you know, it doesn't change the rhino's ways anyway. They don't know it's gone. It doesn't hurt them at all. It's just like clipping your fingernails because it's the same exact material. And it's just something that we have to do and try to save them from poachers. Does it grow back? Or once it it's does. Okay. Just your fingernails. Questions that you have about it are kind of the same because keratin, you know, grows on our fingernails. It grows on the rhino horn, but that does kind of make it difficult because you have to keep doing it. But good thing is it doesn't hurt them at all. Well, yeah. So I was going to ask, what is the utility? Like, is it a, a, 
something for a defense? Is that why they have the horn? Like what, what does evolution give them a horn for basically? No, they can use it for defense if they needed it, but it hasn't been proven that they really, really need it. And that is one of the reasons why we still do it because we have found that they don't really need it. It's just kind of there for them um, just in case because a rhino that had um, its horn cut off and a rhino that had its horn on, he protected himself in a battle with that other rhino and was able to protect himself. So we believe that it's okay and you can take it off and they still can live their normal lives. And is that the same thing with the collar as well? You, I think it was the cheetahs you're putting the collar on. Is that just to, to track and make sure you yeah, know where so they are, I guess? Or This specific cheetah um, was a mother of four cubs, four baby cubs that I actually saw while I was there. And we had to keep monitoring her because cheetahs actually aren't the best mothers. And since there are so few of them, we have to make sure that she's caring for her cubs, being able to track her and make sure she's taking care of them well and keeping track of her cubs and her to make sure that she does okay. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting stuff to be able to, uh, just to go out there and I guess ex- I guess to experience that. Um, I guess to experience that. Um, so website is probably the best spot. Where can other people connect with you, say hello, do whatever? Well, you can follow me on my Instagram handle, Kids Can Save Animals, and definitely check out my website. That's where I have everything that I've been talking about today. And I definitely encourage you to download my song. Yeah. And I'll put the, uh, I'll put the, is a, is a song just on your website or is that on like YouTube? Is there another spot? I'll I'll link it up in the, in the show notes, even for everyone. You can find it. You can find it on YouTube and a little more about my song and my music video. You can follow my TikTok account. Kids can say the animals. What, what's what, what kind of content I'm not on TikTok. I haven't downloaded yet. I haven't taken that approach, but uh, what, what kind of content do you have in there? What are you doing on TikTok? We created a dance for a part of the song. The last little part of the song we created a dance to, and we encourage lots of people to go follow it and learn that dance. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, cool. Well, it seems like that. Well, you know, it's nice with the music video. And one of the things I appreciate again, from an age standpoint is you're trying a lot of different stuff you know, a couple of years from now, maybe some of this you're not doing or you've transitioned, but at least you're putting yourself out there. You're trying, you're seeing what works, what you'd like to do. And which I think is very admirable. Um, okay. This is a lot of fun. I, I know we jumped around a lot of different areas. Um, any other, you know, advice or insight, you know, let's say you're talking to someone that's um, I, actually, I don't even care the age because probably a 40 year old needs to hear it as well. Any advice on getting started? Anything that you would share that you've learned in this journey um, that might be impactful for someone to hear? Something that I really want to tell people is making sure that they know about a place before they go to it. For example, zoos and different called that they might call a sanctuary because some of these places that they call a zoo or a sanctuary, they're treating their animals really bad. There's a bunch of fake advertising everywhere when we know that those elephants in those zoos don't have real grass, they're iron bars around them and they're not living a happy life. And also swimming with a dolphin. I know this might sound really fun and I'm not shaming anyone if they've ever done it because I did it when I was a really little kid and didn't know any of this, but it's something really bad because those dolphins should be in the wild. They shouldn't be swimming with us. And just, I encourage you to learn about where you're going and drive tourism money to not give your money where places aren't doing good things. How does, uh, 
Well, now you brought up another question I want to ask. <laughs> How do you, because because I've done that. I, I, I did swimming with uh, dolphins and they're unbelievable, unbelievable um, strength. And uh, what I was curious about is like, how, so how do you stop that from happening? Is that legislation that has to change? Is that like, like, how, how does that, I don't even know how that works, like how the animals come to a zoo. Like, how, what, what's the first step for people if they even want to say, hey, I have a local zoo, they're not doing good practices. How do they help maybe change the, uh, the way they work? mainly you don't want to give them their money. They drive off of our tourism dollars and that's how they keep doing their things, getting more animals into their zoos. And we just need to stop that. And by not going to those places, you're not giving them your donation. So they can't do that. So I encourage you just to stop doing that. So we don't give them their money that they can keep going. And then hopefully those animals can be freed. Kate, I'm, I'm impressed by you and what you've done so far. Um, I'm excited to see the next few years of your journey and where you take this thing. And, uh, and I certainly appreciate you coming on the podcast and, uh, and sharing. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, if you go to my website, brianandraco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianandraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.